This is the Novel Marketing Podcast. I'm Thomas Umstead Jr. I'm James L. Rubart. And this is the show for novelists who hate marketing but still want to become best-selling authors. This episode is our second Q&A extravaganza. Boom, boom, boom. <laughs> so this is the show where we answer your questions. We love to get questions from you guys. And so every now and then we tackle questions that are bothering you or things you want to explore. And it goes real quick. So hopefully one or two or three or more of these questions will apply to you. Now, if you'd like to listen to our first Q&A episode, just go to novelmarketing.com slash 25. And before we get to the questions, we should probably say how you can ask your own questions. So these are questions that came in from listeners like you. Uh, this uh, It's like a PBS, this show brought to you by listeners uh, like you. <laughs> so if you want to listen to a question, just go to novelmarketing.com. There's a big ask a question uh, link in the menu that I think we have some more buttons. Uh, we've, we basically sprinkled ask a question buttons all over that website so just go to novelmarketing.com click one of those buttons and we may answer uh, or at least address <laughs> we may not you may not like the answer we give you but we'll address it and we'll, it, we'll respond episode. we'll at yes. least respond all right so the first ep- uh, question comes from uh, somebody we'll call sarah and she asks uh, i uh, was recently divorced and remarried and now i have a new last name uh, should i change the name on my website and social media Uh, and on future books or use my old name as a pen name uh, moving forward. So first, let's talk about the downsides to changing your name. You are going to confuse readers. And I can't emphasize that enough because I... Do you know anything about confusing (laughs) readers, Jim? I do. I do. I am living this. I am living this. Uh, To all my friends, I'm Jim Rubart. But on all my books, it's James L. Rubart. Do you see how that can get confusing? You're probably going, well, no, that's, I mean, that's pretty obvious to people, right? Well, it isn't. It is not obvious at all. They don't make the connection. And so the other day on Facebook, I, I was on a forum as Jim Rubart, and somebody asked me, oh, my gosh, you're not, you're not the same guy as James L. Rubart, are, are you? Are you related to James L. Rubart? <laughs> yes, are you related to James L. Rubart? And I thought, oh, man. So the big mistake on my side, my first website was jimrubart.com. Now it's jameslrubart.com. So I can speak from experience. You will confuse people if you do this. Uh, another downside is that it's going to cause uh, the ish- topic of your divorce and remarriage to be a question that gets asked and answered every time somebody sees your old books and your new books uh, on the same table. And so uh, this one way to avoid this conversation is to just keep the name the same and it never comes up. They just, they, you're in their heads as that first name and there's no hafting to change it. The other thing is it's a hassle just uh, expense-wise and just time-wise to change your website, Twitter, Facebook, Goodreads, all the social places you've been, and that can just take a lot out of you to do that. You're also diluting your Amazon rankings and uh, book rankings in other places. So what you're essentially doing in the publishing world is you're creating a new pen name uh, for yourself. So all of your sales for the one name are going to be separated from the sales of the other name. Some tools will, will combine them, but most do not. And so all of the effort that you've spent building a reputation uh, will essentially be starting over from scratch. So as you can tell, we're not big fans <laughs> of changing uh, your name. Now, but there, there is may be an upside. Rel- there is, there an, is upside. an upside. Yeah, <laughs> it could make your new husband very happy to see his name 
on your books. And so we're not marriage counselors here. We're not here to tell you uh, what you should and shouldn't do in your marriage. Uh, me especially, uh, considering that I have been married for exactly zero days. <laughs> Um, so I, we're not going to tell you what not to do and, and you still can do it. And I know people who've done it. In fact, there's a politician here in Texas, uh, who got married three or four times. She, her husband, she kept divorcing them or they kept dying. And after, and she would add each new husband's name to her last name. And she finally acquired the string of last <laughs> names, uh, where she was known as five or six names and the radio personalities, uh, would to make fun of her would go through the string twice. <laughs> so it, anyway, it was, it was unfortunate um and so you don't you don't want to be her um because that became what everyone knew her by is the lady with all the last names so um moving on let's go to darren sap who is writing to us from darrensap.com and he says i've listened to every one of your podcasts and found value in all of them thanks no darren we thank you yeah (laughs) we appreciate it so darren's question is do i have to market myself in a specific genre he i know not to say quote i write everything i understand the value of marketing to a specific genre but is it okay to be general fiction or must i narrow it down to say for example christian ya steampunk romance i made that last one up (laughs) i (laughs) laughed I like Darren. He's got a great sense of humor. <laughs> ah, steampunk romance. <laughs> the best of all the romances and the worst of all the steampunks. <laughs> um, so here's the benefit of picking a specific genre is that you get for fans everyone who loves that genre. Don't think of a genre as a limiting thing. See it as an opportunity. I personally believe that there are not enough books about dragons. If, if your book is about dragons and there's an audiobook, really all you have to do is tell me about it and I'm probably going to listen to it. I'm a real sucker for dragons. And so dr- dragon isn't even a genre. It's like a genre within a genre. You know, I think part of why I like Star Wars so much is that there's always these big monsters uh, in every, every Star Wars movie. And so, you know, who do you want to reach out to first? Now, you can grow beyond the genre, but that genre that you start off with, that's the red dot on the target. That's the bullseye. And if you don't have a bullseye, it makes everything so much harder. Think about it this way, Darren. Um, are you going to be more effective with a shotgun or a sniper rifle? You really got to get that sniper rifle and you got to drill down instead of this widespread and you might cause a little bit of damage. You want to you hit the mark. You want to hit the target right on. Assuming that you know the difference between a shotgun and a sniper rifle. But if you're using Christian YA steampunk romance as your example, I'm assuming you've played enough video games where <laughs> <laughs> that makes sense. All right, next question is from Carrie Lynn Lewis. She asked, uh, She's asking a follow-up question on episode 31. We actually had a big, long discussion about this in the comments uh, for episode 31, but I wanted to address this uh, on the air because uh, I think some folks got confused. And so she asked, I recently read one of Author Media's blog posts, why your blog should be your book's first draft and have been busy planning a campaign to serialize a story on one of my blogs have you changed your mind because we talked about in the episode 31 uh, what novelists should blog about that you shouldn't post a serialized uh, version of your blog and so let me clarify this because this is both the best advice in the world and the worst advice in the world depending on one very important factor and that is are you writing fiction or nonfiction? Right. I can't tell you how many New York Times bestselling nonfiction authors started off as a blog. 
and they took the blog posts, they bundled them all together, they, you know, edited them, tweaked them, and then voila, they've got a book. In fact, Michael Hyatt is what he did. If you read his blog and you read his book, you're going to be like, hmm, these are really suspiciously similar. (laughs) And that's not cheating. That's smart marketing because Hyatt knew which of his posts were the most popular, a.k.a. answered people's questions the best and met felt needs the best. And so he had a guaranteed winner by starting with his blog posts for his book. The problem is that that doesn't work for fiction. Uh, No one wants to read your story in a serialized way. Um, Now, I I told Carrie, and I'll tell this to you, just because it hasn't worked for the thousands of authors who've tried it in the past doesn't mean that it won't work for you. So you could be the first person to make it through the wasteland of broken dreams known as trying to post uh, your book as a serialized blog. Um, And I will say just briefly, the one way I have seen this work is as a podcast. Uh, So you release each chapter as a podcast or an audiobook or patio book, as they're sometimes called. And that has been very successful uh, for some authors. Uh, Some have even made it to the uh, New York Times bestseller list with that strategy. And we'll probably do an episode on that in the future. Uh, As a podcast listener, that may be a good uh, fit for you. Okay, moving on to Juliana Barnett. Uh, and you can reach Juliana at rainwoodhouse.com. She says, hi, I'm enjoying your podcast, The Car Talk of Novel Marketing. <laughs> Thank you, Juliana. Having Which makes me want to listen to car talk because I have no idea what that is. I'm assuming it's the uh, novel marketing of cars, maybe? <laughs> <laughs> Something like that, yes. I have listened to it, and it is a good show. Um, having just listened to the NaNoWriMo one podcast, I want to know what suggestions you guys have for novelists who wrote their first draft within NaNoWriMo in regard to using that for marketing. Um, might there be ways of connecting, doing outreach, etc., based on having a Nano origin? Um, yes and no. No, because you don't want to publicize that at all to your readers that you wrote it in NaNoWriMo. Um, then the reason being is because it's done so quickly that readers are going to go, wow, was this thing just shoved together? The second thing is they might not know what NaNoWriMo is, and so it has no cachet with them because of that. The way I think you can use having done your first draft in NaNoWriMo is use it to connect to other people who have written their first draft that way. There is certainly the, oh my gosh, you did 50,000 words in a month, so did I. And you can start to form some relationships that way. But in terms of using it to reach out to readers, I would suggest no. Yeah, most readers don't want a book. uh, Or it's not a good sales pitch to say, hey, read this book I wrote. I wrote it in 30 days. It was a drunken binge of, you know, I hardly slept and it was this furious, you know, exhausting 30 days. I think you really enjoy it. That doesn't add a lot to the book. In fact, uh, Jim and I are in, in, uh, have a lot of author friends, some very famous author friends, and they do NaNoWriMo, but they never tell anyone <laughs> they do it. So, you know, they're writing, you know, best-selling books, but the fact that it was wrote, written in 30 days, the first draft isn't isn't a good marketing point. It's something that they kind of keep to themselves. And the reality is uh, a lot of nano writers make the mistake of thinking that the book is ready to be sold after they do NaNoWriMo. In reality, they need to edit and edit and edit and then bring in professional editors to give them more edits. And um, some of my agent friends cringe every December because for the first few days in December, they're getting these basically copy-paste manuscripts from NaNoWriMo. And again, NaNoWriMo doesn't have a good reputation for um, quality. You know, people are, the goal is 
speed, not quality. And so those editors and agents, they just take those manuscripts and they just, you know, put them straight into the trash. Uh, they often don't even read them. So I'm a big believer in NaNoWriMo. Don't get me wrong. We do episodes on Nano. We'll probably do more in the future. But it's not useful from a marketing perspective. <laughs> <laughs> Readers aren't wanting to read NaNoWriMo books unless they are NaNoWriMo, NaNoWriMo <laughs> writers themselves. That's a twang twister. Christy, yeah, Christy Eshman, I'm going to say, at ChristyEshman.com. A friend gave me the name of her distant cousin, who is multi-published, as a possible contact. I'd like to get in touch with this cousin to see if she can help me, but I'm not sure what to ask her read my book, ask for a review. I really don't want to waste an opportunity to have someone help me by asking too much or too little. Great question, because if you're in this publishing industry, you're always coming up against people, oh, I know somebody, or I know somebody, you ought to contact them. I guess the first thing I would say is I'd ask the friend, hey, how how close are you to this distant cousin? What's her personality like or his personality like? Would you give me an intro to this person? They gave you a name, but would they be willing to give you an intro? Could they uh, grease the skids, so to speak? That's the first step. The second thing I'd think about is in any relationship, uh, especially ones where you're asking someone in publishing to do a favor or actually in any kind of business situation, you don't give them a ring or ask for a commitment the first time out. You are dating. You're getting to know. You're building a relationship. This is so point. I really want to underline this. You know, if you want to get wheat out of a field, you have to first put wheat into a field. You can't go to a barren field and be like, hey, where's my food? Or if you want to get heat out of a fire, you have to first put heat into a fire. So that first ask, maybe, hey, can I buy you some coffee? You know, you want to build that relationship. If you're just going up to people asking for things, you're essentially just a beggar. And that's not attractive. You're not going to get those really big favors uh, that way. And think about who do you give favors for? Who, who do you go out of your way to help? Is it complete strangers that contact you out of the blue? Or is it people that you've gotten to know over time or people who've done favors for you. And I'm not saying that you just get to know this person t- to get something out of them. You, you know, you want to genuinely you know, like people because uh, people like others who like themselves. You know, it's your mean and obnoxious. Uh, people aren't going to be going out of their way uh, to help you. We actually have an episode on this. It's one of our most popular episodes and it's how uh, the secret to getting people uh, to love you. I think it's the title. It's episode eight. And you can find that at novelmarketing.com slash eight. And we talk more about this kind of interpersonal uh, relations uh, type uh, issue because I'll say James L. Rubart is perhaps the best at doing this that I've seen in the publishing industry. Everyone loves him. Uh, so, uh, yeah, where uh, how, the secret of getting people to love you. We'll have a link in the show notes if I remember the episode number wrong. And then finally, I would say to Christy, as Thomas is talking about, invest in this person. Well, how can you do that? I'd suggest before you contact them, maybe you buy their book and you read it. And then there's a connection point where you have invested some of your money in them. And and it's a touch point to start talking from. All right. Well, thank you for listening to this Q&A extravaganza. If you have a question, again, you can get the answer. Uh, You can ask us by going to novelmarketing.com. 
This edition of the Novel Marketing Podcast has been brought to you by My Book Table, which I consider a must-have plug-in if you've got a WordPress website, and that's the kind of websites that Thomas and I certainly recommend over any other. It'll help you sell more books and make you money as an affiliate on sites like Amazon, Barnes & Noble, etc. So all you need to do to get all the info on that is go to mybooktable.com. And remember, if you share this podcast with a friend, James will rename his cat after you, assuming he ever gets a cat. And if you leave us a kind review on iTunes, I'll name one of my future children after you, assuming I ever get married. Uh, And my wife is cool with it. Uh, So just go to iTunes and write a short review. And as always, uh, if you have a marketing question, we'd love to answer it. This has been the Novel Marketing Podcast, giving you novel ideas on how to promote yourself and your writing offline, online, and everywhere in between.